Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. Good evening. Is this from hello, hello. the streets to the pulpit? Hi. Is this from the streets to the pulpit? Good evening. Good evening. Is this from the streets to the pulpit? Yes, it is. Good evening. How are you? And good evening. All is well. It's a pleasure to be here. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about how the government has control of all of us and yet have us at odds with each other. That's a loaded cannon. That's a loaded cannon. That's a loaded uh, uh, Gatling gun. Um, some people believe that, but I know better. I know that my Heavenly Father has control of all of it. Good evening. So, Go ahead, finish your thought, please. Uh, so, so, you know, yes, we have to live by the Laws of the land. We have to live by the laws of the land. But I know who has the first word and the last word. I know who breathed breath into me and gave me life. It wasn't the government. It wasn't the government. So um, I, I, I just hope that uh, uh, people will, you know, read their Bibles and step out on faith. Some days it feels like we're the Hebrew, Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. But if you hold on to God's unchanging hand, it, the government ain't got nothing that can hurt you or control you. They're not in charge. And I'm not afraid to say it. I stand on Mount Everest and testify. Uh, this joy that I have, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus Christ paid it all. I have been redeemed. Now, one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let lay this flesh down. But I pray my soul be saved, and I'm going back to the Father in heaven. Government can't do nothing about that. 
Thank you. We're going to go to the next one. Hello? Seven what's going on, eight, seven. Hey, what's going on? Talk to me, man. Give me some thoughts about this this, this governmental control we got going on, man. Uh, I've I've got a lot of <laughs> thoughts and viewpoints on that, and you know I, I I hear what the the sister was saying. You know, with the she sounds like a woman of extreme faith. However, I don't see it as I don't, I don't see it that way. You know, I I see is these are. These are man-made laws, man-made constructs, uh, and the plan is working. And, you know, you have to see it for what it is and move accordingly and adjust accordingly. These are man-made laws that are selectively applied. And you and I had a conversation on the state of black affairs this Sunday, and I laid out a 40-year time plan that it takes. These things are systemic. These things are strategic um, on how the measures that were put into place to break up the black family and the black community. We can get into that later, but, you know, so. No, 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 I, no. let's not. Let's start with 40 years because I'm, I'm, someone need to hear these, this 40-year plan. All right. Um, so let's take the current state of black America. Um and by black America, I'm talking about black man, black woman, the black family, the black community. And our, where the sense of community that once existed to this disconnected, disjointed sense of unity now. And what I mean by that is if you look, if, if you want to start from 1960, and I'm not, I'm, I'm really pulling dates off the top of my head, so if you want to go ahead and if I'm off a year or two, just, you know, bear with me. So 1960 to 1969, we have Medgar Evers, we have Martin Luther King, we have Malcolm X. And, I, and I, on Sunday I, was, I couldn't remember one. And then on top of that, you have both Robert and Bobby Kennedy. All die between 1960 and 1969. What I want to do is I want to focus on Megar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King. They represent the black power. These are men that what when we think of that ideal man, that father, that that pillar of the community, that's what these three men were. They went out and they stuck their neck out. That is our black power base, wiped out, gone. So now, you know the old saying, you cut off the head, body will follow. So your black power base is gone. I do not remember when the Black Panther Party was started. I want to say 1968, 1969, around there. So another example of black community coming together, being led by men, and I'll address the men versus women thing because it's really not a, a conflict, but you understand that men are the leaders in, in heading these, these movements with the incredible support of a, of their woman. Now, Black Panther Party is, a, is officially destabilized in 1972, which means they are no longer considered a threat. They are no longer considered um, uh, a thorn in the side of the government. Also around the same time, you have the deindustrialization of the inner city. So all of these Southerners in Mississippi, 
because uh, there was a great migration north to the to the factory jobs in Chicago, in Detroit, into Pittsburgh, and, and vice versa. These are jobs where men and women who may or may not have had a high school uh, degree or college education could go in and sustain lives, obtain a pension, and do and and really elevate their uh, their standard of living. These people also were experienced, uh, uh, had were, were uh, had trades, you know, electricians, plumbers, so forth. In high school, you could go, you could go to high school, and you could go to a woodshop class, you could go to a plumbing class, you could go to an electrician's class, and you could graduate certified in that area. So when you, so when the government takes these factory jobs out of the city that was employing. Uh, the, um, the, um, these black people, all that falls by the wayside. Also, in late sixties, you have the Vietnam War. So now, these men um, that I do not like, these men that I, I have an agenda against, I'm going to send them off to die. The ones that I can't kill, I'm going to get them hooked on drugs. We also know this is the overlapping time period when the government floods the inner city with heroin. We're going to go from heroin. Then we're going to go to crack, and then we're going to lead into our, pres- our, our mandatory sentencing. So the start of this, so now you're talking about Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon did two main primary things of his presidency. He took the United States off a of gold standard, which essentially gave us license to print free money that was backed by nothing and was essentially worthless. He also created the DEA. Now, mm. one, uh, and somebody checked, when did the Vietnam War end? What, what did we say? Uh, quick, we said 1970, uh, 73, uh, somebody checked. Go ahead. Um, so now I'm sending these men back home that are still faced with employment challenges and also may or may not have an addiction to heroin. So we discussed the one way to break up a black family is to eliminate the ability for to reproduce and and recreate and procreate. You know, um, so the one way to devalue a man is, or the one way to make a man leave the home is to devalue him. So now you have a man that's back home that has served his country and can't get a job, and it. Is clinging on to some sense of responsibility for his family, so he's going to go out and he's going to do whatever he can to provide for his family. And in most cases, history has shown us it didn't really go that well because, like I said, this is a carefully constructed plan by the government to break up a community. So now around this time, so now we're looking at mid to late 70s, we have Jimmy Carter going into the Reagan years. I believe it was Nixon who initially developed the first plans for sentencing guidelines. So now you have a a contingent of black men that are caught up into that, that is being fine-tuned and and revamped and revised to add more time. So all of these men that cannot get jobs, now I've got you caught up in the prison system, and I'm going to send you to jail. Usher in. Um, now we're getting in, into the late 70s, early 80s. We're talking about the Reagan years. Mm-hmm. So now we have crack. We have the ad. We have we have the the surge of crack uh, cocaine, and we have the unfair sentencing guidelines between crack versus 
uh, versus cocaine and the, and the sentencing guidelines right. that accompany it. So now, from the 80s, two grams of crack, I mean, you're going to do 30 years. So that puts up, what, about 2010? So I have all wow. of these black men locked up that have that have these families that have no knowledge of each other. You know you have a child. The child knows he has a father, but I have no interaction with you. So now I've, I have contempt and I have resentment. Now I have another generation of black men that don't know how to be men. I have a generation uh-huh. of black men that don't know what it's like to be responsible. I have a I have a contingent of black men blindly leading another group of black of younger black influential black uh, wow. uh, easily influenced black men. So now around the same time you see black women say, "Hey, I'm in this situation. I've got to provide. I can't be on welfare because welfare says that I cannot uh, have a male in the house. And if I do, I." Uh, by the time he reaches a certain age, he's got, a certain age, he's got to go. So huh. I need to do something to keep my family together, and I need to do something to better myself. So you see women in droves going to colleges, and they're bettering themselves. And I want to be clear when I say there is nothing wrong with that. That is the way that it should be. However, people need to understand it's still not the natural order in a household. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, because, like I said, men are set to lead and define that. But when you take that out of the home, a woman has no choice. She's got to take on right. that, that responsibility. So now I've got okay. women that have gone off and, and better and improved themselves. Around the same time, I've got these men that have been that have done these twenty and thirty year bids coming mm. out of prison. And guess what? They're still unemployable. But right. now, if I've made use of my if I if I've made use of my time in prison, I've at least learned some self respect and dignity. So now I want to fight Amen. like hell to reconnect and apologize and make amends for the harm that I've caused. Amen. But you have a lot of men that I don't know how to deal with a man. I don't know how to deal with emotion because from day one we are always told you do not show emotion. Mm. But I'm being raised by a woman who, guess what, is nothing but emotion. So now I can't relate to you as my father and I can't relate to this woman in my house, to my own mother, Mm. my own flesh and blood. So now I have more conflict, and I've got another disconnect. So we just went from 1960 to around the 2010s. That's how you break up a black family. That's wow. how you destroy a community. Okay. And with all, and with, and with the utmost, utmost respect to the sister that, that spoke about her, I, I just don't see it. I don't. I, I'm, I'm not convinced because I'm looking at the world around me, and and I and I, I see how men. I can see how people want to distance themselves from that narrative, from that religious narrative, because look at what's going on here. I, I had a buddy of mine tell me, um, um, I asked him, I said, man, you know, he, he was, he's dealing with some things. I asked him, how, you know, he hasn't been sleeping well. And this was the first night he actually slept through the night. I said, yo, brother, how you feeling? He said, I slept, through, mm-hmm. I slept uh, like Jesus slept through slavery. That's the mindset. Mm-hmm. That's that mentality. You know, people, you, you know, I hear people, my mother being one of them, uh, Grandma's always constantly talking about having that faith, and, and when Jesus returns, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm still waiting on him to address <laughs> the the police assault of of unarmed black men. I'm still waiting to address all these things. We're not even talking in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. We're talking just from 1950 to now. Okay. Jesus, God, Jesus got quite of a backlog of action to catch up on. So I understand. When you're ready, the I want to give you some feedback. 
Mm-hmm. You ready for some feedback? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, baby, you came into the world by yourself. You're going to leave the world by yourself when your judgment day comes. See, all you got to worry about is you. How about you spend six months minding your own business and the other six months leaving other folks' business alone? All of those other issues just sweep around your front door and develop a relationship. See, just like me and you talking, now I want you mm-hmm. to understand that you're talking to a female that was raised by a black Baptist minister from the age of eight years old when he married my mother. So, baby, I went to plenty of revivals. Plenty of Sunday school and, and, and fellowship and worship, worship for years, 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 even after I was grown. But, sir, I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't until I got off alone with higher power and told higher power how it IS is before we really develop a relationship. Stop all of that pretty stuff. It's all right for you to cuss. It's all right for you to say, Jesus, goddamn it, I'm sick of this shit. What you going to do about it? But, see, we got to be still and know we have to be still and recognize the most high God. We got to be patient. Hey. Just give him time. Okay. And see, and, and give so, him time. We uh, talking about, know, okay, so one, the first one, slaves arrived in 1600. How much time does he need? I'm going to leave you to ask him that, and I promise you one thing I know that I know that I know in due time and due season, you will get an answer. Now, what also needs to happen is that you're two-dimensional. Don't be afraid to go three-dimensional. Don't be afraid to let higher power open that third eye. I'm going to take a step back, and I understand there's a young man that wants to give some feedback, so I'm going to step back so the young man can speak his piece, and then y'all go ahead on with it, okay? Young man, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I, I've been listening to you know, go ahead. Um, I've been hearing, uh, I listened to you talk about, you know, the 40-year plan of how to destroy the black household, and, um, you know, I'm hearing this, uh, this, this very faithful woman talk about, you know, faith. I'm going to speak on two things, both in terms of faith in the black community and how it affects the black community as a whole. Okay, now what you were saying about your 40-year plan, undoubtedly I can see how you could piece that together. You know, there has been a constant attack by the American system on its own people, but... Again, this is a constant attack that has not only permeated just our race, but every race. Okay, every race in some shape, way, or form has engaged in some activity of which, by the standards of which we call law, can be considered illegal. I will speak, you know, just as a just just as an outlier, put this out there. I myself identify as an anarchist. I don't believe in any form of authority or government power because essentially the idea that a body of people have come together that even I supposedly have the right to have participation in electing. In my, 20, in my almost 28 years of being on this world and just being in Florida, I see that as, as a falsehood because even here and where I live in the state of Florida, there has been huge amounts of political scandal and corruption. Okay? So when you're talking about how they have a 40-year plan to dismantle, uh, how in the last 40 years they dismantled the black household, that dismantling has occurred across many cultures. But see, they, that plan existed long before then. And, and I'm going to be honest, with the, with the ladies' faith, you know what I'm saying? Let me, one of the biggest things they used, when we came over here from Africa, we didn't remember what kind of spiritual culture we had. We, we lost that. They forced us to take upon their European names. They forced us to take upon their, their, their traditions, their, their, their beliefs, their norms. So in essence, we took on the spirituality. Again, I also don't identify really as a religious person. Okay, I have a simple religious philosophy personally. It's I do not do nothing that – do not anything – that does not cause harm to another. I mean, don't do anything. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'll get more worse it up. 
don't do anything unto others that causes them harm, okay? When it comes down to one of the biggest things that is meant to the black family, Christianity has affected one of the strongest, you know, you know, parts of that. Now, granted, it has in many ways brought people together. It has challenged people to, you know, come together under a spiritual cause. It has given them enlightenment. It has given them direction. But essentially, it has been an enlightenment that was forced upon us, okay? With all of this in modern society, even amongst my younger generation, there's a very, very common, you know, there was a common trend in the early 2010s of basically religious rebellion, just straight up, you know, anti-Christian sentiment and just generally anti-religious sentiment. Now, Christianity itself has honestly been one of the biggest destroyers of the black community. Why? Because in and of itself forced a culture upon us that wasn't our own. Just because we live in, in a culture now where, you know, we say, oh, we don't have strong, strong black male figureheads, Honestly, even in the tribes of Africa, they had stronger male, female figureheads than they did male figureheads. The, male, the males, they protected the tribe. They went out, they hunted, they gathered. But the women, they were the ones who helped dictate what went on within the tribe, what was, what was said within the tribe. The men had a lot of, you know, say and a lot of power, but ultimately those women deferred to their women because, as you said, a strong woman always, you know, stands behind a strong man. But a strong man without a strong woman behind him eventually breaks, you know, and to this day, you're right, and, and, and the plan they have created, they killed us off in wars, they flooded our communities with drugs, they, they, they pretty much dismantled our households, but as a result, they also allowed that disconnect to exist. Now, the entire idea that we must not show emotion is not just one that is sold amongst the black community, but in all honesty, it is sold amongst the, entire, the entirety of, of culture as a whole in America. This strong, stoic ideal of men who don't speak about their feelings at work, at best, they may write in a journal about it, of which they keep close to their heart and plan to burn the second anybody gets a hold of it and tries to look into it. But the reality of it is, we as a people, as a, as a culture, as a community, we don't really have much of a culture. Most of our much of our culture nowadays has just become a a, a tool to be sold to, to our capitalist society. You know, through our music, through through, through our culture, through through everything that we once actually held sacred to us that helped express ourselves, express our culture, and help us connect to the higher spiritual being has basically become commercialized, you know. Now, we sit up here and, and, and say that we as a community need to rebuild, you know, find strong figures. I was raised in an entire family that pretty much was matriarchal. You know, I didn't even have my father due to circumstances. A man who literally wanted to step in and be a father figure for me, unfortunately was called back before his time. Now, well, however you wanted to describe your love of spirituality, all I said is, life just says, you know what, you have been a strong father, but these are the type of men that are going to have to learn how to be men on their own. But the reality of it is, we, we think that just because we root ourselves in traditions and and, and Dirty, solid ideals, which are already, you know, pre-constructed before us because we didn't follow that mold. We failed, but what if the reality of it is we never learned to properly adapt to the situations in which we had to deal with? We never learned to properly adapt to the circumstances. And what if we also fail to realize that the same men that, you know, ended up having to do these terrible things, sell these drugs, do whatever, to support their families, only ended up in jail because essentially the government always wanted to create a trap, and yet we never learned to try to, you know, avoid their trap. For the record, I, have you ever heard of um, Black Wall Street? Has anybody here ever heard of Black Wall Street? 
Okay, Black Wall Street, you know, it was a very populous, thriving black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was burned to the ground in 1928 over accusations that a black man had that a black man had sexually assaulted a white woman. When in fact it was later proven that that same white woman had been sexually assaulted by two white men, but was afraid of actually speaking out because she was afraid it, it, it would harm their reputation or that they would, she would be seen as a liar and, and looked down upon. Now, mind you, this was a this was a, 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 an entire thriving community. The only reason they burned this community down was because they wanted an excuse. They wanted an excuse to destroy black community and black unity. When the Black Panther Party was trying to help out, much of some of the, much of the social programs we have nowadays were entirely created by the Black Panther Party to try to help their own community and were later incorporated into the rest of America. They, they, they worked very hard. They tried to protect our community. But in the end, the American society, first and foremost, it doesn't just seek to destroy unity within the black community. It seeks to destroy unity within all communities, even with uh, even the American white. You know, yeah, they may say, oh, they're friendly, you know, they're good with their neighbors. But the reality of it is, if given a choice to choose between coming together over an issue to, uh, that, that affects the community as a whole or sticking to their own personal stances on it and looking out for themselves, they'll look after themselves in the heart. There are many that will not always take on that particular stance. I have had experience from literally the poorest of white people in the trailer parks to the ones living in the gated subdivisions. You know, they actually, I have actually engaged with people from these communities, and the only thing I see is the one thing that really makes them, you know, even if they try to stay together as a community, it's merely just trying, trying in the face of everything going wrong. I've seen just the same struggles we face in the black community and poor people in the white community. Sometimes it's just a matter of America itself is trying to create division across the board in all areas. They want us to be divided no matter who we are because it keeps them in power. As long as we stay divided, it, 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 it went far as, back as far as the fact that we weren't supposed to have a two-party system as a country. When, we were, when this country was founded, when, 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 when it became a presidency ran by a white man in 1787, Jefferson did, I mean, uh, George Washington did not intend for there to ever develop a two-party system in, in the United States of America. Essentially, yeah, the election system is just a popularity contest over who can agree over whose ideals that everybody wants to follow. But essentially, it was only supposed to be every man for themselves speaking against their ideals and everybody saying, okay, we agree with this particular – we all as a whole agree with this particular guy in general, so we're going to go with him. The two-party system was automatically created to create a divide, okay? So in politics, they already they – don't, they don't want unity. And any, if you study any famous – Ruler, dictator, uh, 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 anybody before America even, even became a thing, the one thing they will always tell you is if you keep your populace divided, you will always have control over it, no matter what. You will constantly keep them conquered. They pump drugs in our community, you know, the illegal way. They, Reagan did it when he was trying to fund the Contras to over, overthrow a Nicaraguan uh, 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 revolution back in the 80s, and that's when he got Ricky Freeway Watson, the CIA, to pump cocaine into the inner city uh neighborhoods and, and, and caused the explosion of the crack cocaine epidemic. It was all because it created a two-fold system. After we had just started getting rid of the issue with heroin, we started unifying again. We started trying to come together despite our circumstances. Immediately, they gave us the opportunity to make a buck and live the American dream the illegal way, and boom, we fall apart again. We started destroying ourselves. But this is the same country that in recent times has done it to their own community with the opioid crisis. They started pumping out oxycodone, oxycodone, I mean, there are so many synthetic 
uh, opioids out there that I don't even know how to name them all, but they have pumped them into their own communities. Even those people were starting to get to the point where they were like, well, we got a problem with our government and, you know, the way it's working because they started realizing, you know, what, we've come this far as a society. We really should start trying to see each other as equals. And then they said, oh, hey, there's a drug crisis for you to focus on. Instead of focusing on the fact that there are thousands of black people getting shot every day in the street when they had absolutely nothing, when they did absolutely nothing wrong, you know. Then on top of that, you got to think about nowadays and how they keep us divided with current politics and, and, and um, the, the presidency of Donald Trump. You know, the divisiveness he created and the entire and the entire system just. The sheer amount of it that I see on social media is like, heart-wrenching, and it's just like it's all because if any of us for a second stop to focus on seriously helping one another, we'd overthrow them in an instant. Like, we'd destroy the whole system. We'd be able to rebuild our communities. We'd be able to rebuild our own communities as, 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 as just our culture and then actually be able to reach out and still be able to connect and unify with all the other communities and cultures within America and we'd be able to stop them. But at the end of the day, whether we're white, we're black, we're Latino, we're Asian, the one thing they want is to keep us, they want to keep us separated, you know? So with the 40-year plan, I mean, it's really been more like a almost two, like a almost 200-year plan. Frankly, even back then, there were those who already knew they were going to have to free the slaves because slavery was not going to be an ideal system under which to run a country, under which to run an economy, because it created too much of a, a system where there were too many people who were only contributing to the production of, 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 uh, of goods for purchase, but there were not going to be any of them that were going to be capable of purchasing it themselves. They weren't going to already look towards trying to let them free and deal with it. There were people who, are, who still, because I know there was a topic that I missed out on about ego and, 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 and you know, self-centered and you know, self-identity, there were those who still wanted to see themselves as superior to other things of other races, to people of all other races, simply because they had managed to go out and accomplish all these great feats, colonizing half of the world, and wanted to still see us as savages. So when the idea came around that we were going to be freed and, you know, someone was going to attempt to give us rights, they instantly decided they were going to enact a 200-year plan. And this is a plan that isn't just going to sit in one particular, you know, even being delineated and not being entirely sure how to, you know, figure out the future. This is a plan that had an entire overall structure that was designed for one simple purpose, keep all the people down, keep all of them distracted, and they will always be in power. Even now, the government barely has its power. Much of its power now, frankly, due to the president we have, comes from the fact that a lot of our, our politicians are corporate shills. You know, they're all in the pockets of corporations. Corporations don't care about you no matter what race you are. All they care about is the dollar, and all they care about is that you go out, you work yourself to the death, you produce, and you consume. That is how they keep us enslaved. The government, the government was keeping us down before simply because they didn't want us to, to come up and say, you know what, we've been working, especially us as a black community, we've been the front runners of civil rights movements for years, ever since, ever, especially ever since the civil rights era, ever since we became free, we were the front runners fighting for our civil rights, fighting for them to actually uphold the very words that were written in our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. But they know if, if, if they can keep us, the one race that is absolutely determined to consistently fight back against them, separated, 
all the other and keep us separated, keep us fighting with the other races, all of us won't come together. Other races, they've honestly gotten to the point to where as far as they're concerned, they don't care. They build their own communities. When the government tries to infiltrate and get into them, they're extremely tight knit. You know, even when they have their own issues, their own problems, they infight with each other all the time. But no matter what, they make sure that their infight always stays within between them. And if any if anyone from the outside comes in to actually try to invade and, and, and separate them, that is when they all come together. We as a race, we're so we're so caught up in the ideal of trying to make it from the struggle of which we came from, we can barely even come together. I know my points were really all over all all over, but but generally, I mean, even with just the 40 years that they that they destroyed us since the 1960s, since the Civil Rights era, they had already intended on preventing us from being in any way, shape, or form capable of trying to take power, you know, of trying to actually restructure the power, actually truly keep the power in the hands of the actual people. They do it with disinformation campaigns all the time. Frankly, the years between about 2014 to 2016, I realized, were an entire fear was, was – was an act of, of, of fear mongering by not only the U.S. government, but by whatever powers that be altogether. All of those that around this time, we had a huge advancement in technology. We had the ability to now live stream anything at any time from any cell phone. And the number one thing we always saw was a high prevalence of, 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 of violence against black people, violence against the one race that would absolutely try to stand up towards the government. And seeing us getting killed like that in droves in the streets, we already know this had happened for years, you know. But the one thing you got to understand is when you actually constantly expose a person to firsthand to a, to, to a bird's eye view of that actual situation happening, even being removed from it, it still traumatizes them. It still makes them sit up there and say, you know, what if this is me? What if I'm next trying to stand up for myself and I get shot down by the police and I didn't even and I wasn't even trying to, you know be aggressive in any way, shape, or form. I would just stand up for my rights. They, they just, there was an actual study. I'll go look it up, and I'll try to uh, let everyone know so they can read it up for themselves. It was actually proven seeing a traumatic event happen like that happen even in video has just as much of a traumatic effect as if you were there. So they were already for years trying to keep us down. They're not going to allow us That's to true. come together in any way, shape, or form. That's true. So, yeah. Let me put a pause right there. Let me put a pause right there. And, you know, your points weren't all over the place. In fact, I'm going to read the description of tonight's show. Bear with me, and then I'm going to let you come back on. And you did a great job, by the way. But just just bear with me. We're in a place in time when everyone is at odds with each other without any valid reason. Blacks not liking whites, whites afraid of blacks, and everyone is watching Hispanics all while the government is profiting off of all of the chaos. It's pumping hate into our community via social media and television. It's propagating fear and privilege. And all of this is causing a greater gap between the people and the society. Can faith and prayer mend the gap? So you're you're absolutely right. I follow you. And both of y'all made some very great points, including the sister who hung up. But my question to you, do you agree with what I just read to you? Oh, um, absolutely. As far as whether or not faith can mend that gap, I believe in a sense it can. Because personally, 
while I'm an anti-religious person, I understand the necessary tenets of spirituality in bringing us all together because there is one thing we all can agree on. We are not sure whether or not there is something, you know, beyond this world, whether or not we actually have a place to go beyond this. But if in, if, if it takes a belief, you know, any, even if it's just a belief in the idea of, of a higher power being able to guide us, even if it takes us having different opinions, if we all generally believe if we can be blessed by a higher power, if we can hit harness the blessing that this higher power gives us, even if it's just the life, health, and strength that we have to wake up every day and be able to fight, we can mend this gap. We can, we can, you know, take back this control if you put the, that control back in the hands of the actual people and actually improve our lives as a whole. Because it's not just the government that that's doing this. It's also the corporations who are behind them. The government at this point was trying to keep their power. The corporations are now looking to become the next power. But at the end of the day, if we all as a people, no matter what we believe, believe that we are all here to come together as one, to care for each other as a race, as one, to care for this world that we live in, that we are constantly destroying every day and not doing a damn thing to fix, if we all believe that we are here to come together as one, to work together, to work in harmony, to actually create a better world for everyone else, then there is no doubt in my mind we would absolutely, you know, improve the lives of everyone around us, regardless of race, color, creed, you know, anything. Respect that point. Stand by. Um, All right. Perry. Yes, sir. What, what's your thoughts on that, on that description of what that young fella just said? I mean, that, that was a lot. So if, if he can, uh, is there one specific point? I mean, on, on what? Uh, well, my, okay, so one of the things that he did agree with is the description, you know, just like I was saying. Um, the government seems like they're the ones who's keeping us divided. They have us believing and thinking that it's, a, it's black against white, you know, um, whites against black and, and, and Hispanics and, and all this nonsense. When in actuality, it's only one race, which is the human race. You know what I mean? So if, they, if we allow them to continue to label us and keep us divided, they're profiting off of all of this. All the chaos that's going on, they're profiting. Because of the fear, I sit and watch tens upon tens of people buy guns daily. It has to be there's some type of fear that they, 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 that they believe is coming. Okay, so and to I believe the, that the... that's because... The news and, and, and social media, me personally. But go ahead. What was you about to say? Okay, so to that point, what I would say is, you know, to the, to the young gentleman that you know, saying that they've always uh, had a plan. The reason I started with 1960 is because those plans actually exist. They wrote them down. But even even beyond that, you know, but even beyond that, there's so many programs. You know, that, that's what we know. And for everyone that we know of, there may be two or three that we don't know of. So the fear-mongering, absolutely. It, um, but it, it's to the point that the, the, the interference by the government is minimal because now this has its own momentum. It's its own ball of steam. Now, I have to, I mean, I have to create a construct. Go ahead. 
I want to make a little comment. Um, mm-hmm. What you're saying, you know, about how they're defining us, there's actually something. It's a hilarious trend. Um, I'm not going to try to speak in any way that can bring any trouble upon anybody, but if anybody has been aware of current social media mm-hmm. trends, there is actually in the darkest and most disturbingly hilarious corner of the internet, actually hope, even from my generation, because I don't know if anybody's seen it, if you, if you really mess with social media, you all know any young people, but there has been a huge slew of social media and now media coverage to the point of legitimate government, you know, planning for intervention over a Facebook event that was spawned entirely as a joke. Yet there has actually also been a legitimate surge to the point in which every major airline is selling out of tickets to Nevada. There is a meme going around on Facebook. It is called Storm Area 51. It cannot stop us all. My point is we are willing, as a, my generation is willing, as a group, to come together over the most arbitrary and stupidest of causes merely because we as a we as a group are, are dissatisfied with the way the world is going right now. You know, as a whole, even if we are divided in one way or another, we are generally in agreement. Things are not looking very good. Yet we are actually willing, even if it's to throw our own lives away for the dumbest idea that I will consider. Frankly, even as a little bit of a UFO conspiracy theorist, I seriously believe doubt there's anything in Area 51 other than you know just typical top-secret military weapons they want to not let get known or, you know, be made available because, of course, we want to keep our military advantage and edge. But my, as of right now, a solid 1.8 million people in my, in my generation is willing to literally go to Nevada for, for something that stupid. Yet, if we could actually, even if we have to do that sort of viral thinking, actually – create a cause for us to follow, we could literally, it, it, it's 1.8 million people with absolutely no means whatsoever just want to run head first at Area 51 at one of the most heavily armed bases. Yet if we actually turn that energy around, we could probably fix a lot of things in this country almost instantaneously. Many, many people always think it takes really an entire nation, even, even nations, we have now were built when a small group of devoted people, which is absolutely determined to throw themselves head first at a seemingly, a seemingly unconquerable enemy, and to see. Now, I only brought this up because, again, here it is, my generations will have come together over that. What's to say we're not willing to come together with anything else? But I'm sorry, go ahead with your point. Uh, uh, Don't forget, Naruto run. Let's be specific. Y'all yes. going to Naruto run. All right. Yes, the Naruto Go ahead, Perry, please. That is hilarious. Um, looking at today's society, the government really doesn't have to do much because, like I said, this is it's its own animal. It's, it has its own momentum. The seeds of distrust they don't have to sow anymore because they years, years, years ago the plan was put into place. It was initiated. Now. We breed our own seeds of distrust amongst one another. You hear it in statements mm-hmm. such as you know, whether or why I, I don't do business with a certain type of people, with only or I only do business with a certain type of people. Um, um, you hear the the, the narrative um, in in music and in, in song. 
you know, this this narrative of I don't I don't need uh I don't need a woman, I don't need a man. We have reduced each other uh and our roles in each other and the impact that we can have on each other's life to merely right now a purely sexual one. That is the only you you hear it too much. I don't need no man to help me do this. I've been doing this all all along. I don't need no Ooh. woman. I'm I'm out getting my money on my own. So the only yeah. purpose that we've reduced each other to serve to each other is a sexual one. Um, I agree. Yeah. Now, let, let me pull you back into your corners because this right here is going to get real interesting. Let's put, pay a bill real quick, and yeah. we'll resume. Stand by, please. From the streets to the pulpit, is sponsored in part by Lumberjack Hair Co. Our products are high quality and all natural to give you the best results when it comes to beard and hair care. Lumberjack, for the men building culture around masculinity. Visit the website at www.lumberjackhairco.com. So my my man here was about to go ahead and break it down of of you know now it's we've minimized each other's roles to sexually. Go ahead, please continue. Um, I was I was just you know adding to the point where you know just how interpersonal relationships how they exist today. Um, you know so now we're we're, we're looking at at a context. I, I was talking about how the 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 systematic um, basically the government has steered a certain faction or contingent of people into a certain situation, and then they and then in the age of information they still refuse it they still won't receive it so they think these are the only these are the only options made available to me but they don't understand that the options made available to you were carefully planned. For you, you can have all the education and all the indi- uh, all the degrees you you want. Get one felony, and have one child. See how that desperation to provide for that child to provide for that family won't have you entertaining the idea of going out on that block and flipping a pack. It's the same mindset. It's the same mentality that causes women to either entertain stripping or selling their bodies. Because they, mm. there's a sense of hopelessness that has been bred, that has been created, and infused in you. And I, I, I firmly believe that. Yes, desperation. Because the person that looks at a situation, okay, well, this is what it is. I'm gonna deal with it. I get frustrated when I hear this the term, just play the, um, play the hand, play the cards that you were dealt. Well, it, if you're the one manufacturing the cards. And then you're the one dealing the cards. I'm going to play the hand you want me to play. As a matter of fact, let me change that. Not that I want to play. I'm going to have to play the hand that you forced me to play. And that's and that's what I'm talking about. You got in a higher level of thinking. You have to question everything. You have to. You can't look at the surface layer. You surface layer. You need to go down two, three, four, five different levels. And at the end of it, it's all going to come back and revolve around money. Of course. Um, you know, and, and I think we sell ourselves short. 
when we look at this, okay, well, what led to that? But you don't look at some of these political um, um, affiliations or partnerships. Mm-hmm. What you got to understand is you have a bunch of 60, 70, 80-year-old white men that have at least 40-year relationships with each other, wheeling and dealing and serving their own self-interest. This is why I find it so frustrating when when we talk in terms of uh, an election season. You know, you, you constantly hear the black community talking about an agenda. Well, if you go back to the March on Washington, what was what was the demand? What was the request? Jobs, equal pay, and we want to do something about police brutality. Okay, skip ahead. Now we're looking at the Million Man March. What was the decree? We want jobs. We want better education. We want to do something about this police brutality. Skip ahead. Now it's the same ask. The government has dug themselves in because they control they control the laws and they control the money. So from the March on Washington to now, we're still asking for the same things. And we refuse to, some of us, it takes me back to what was it, uh, was it Harriet Tubman? I would have saved so many more slaves had they only known they were slaves. Mm. Um, you have people that just, ref- they, they just, they refuse the knowledge. They do not want to know. And when you start to chip at that, and when you start to shake their foundation, then as a natural defense mechanism, they become defensive, and they become standoffish. They become combative. Now you have a generation of people that don't know how to disagree and resolve conflict. Quick, I know you. I can disagree with you all day, every day, and we can work through that. But you have a certain faction of people today that don't know how to handle disagreement. They don't know how to handle conflict because they don't know. How, that's internal and external conflict. And so now you have what you have now. You have a war. You have uh, you have an internal struggle within yourself, and then you have an external struggle with your brother. And 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 let's face it, some have um, fair motives, and some have good-natured intentions, and some do not. But in the age of information, when you can question in everything that you you are are curious about, you can go find out, or you can go ask someone. It's frustrating to see or to hear people that refuse it. Openly, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. What's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with money? What's what's that got to do with me getting my bag? And you don't understand how your options have been restricted to where you can only make money in this in one of three ways. And that you know, I I was talking to uh, 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 an attorney, and we were talking about how crime pays. You know, you hear that crime doesn't pay. When's the last time you ever heard of a police department laying off officers? And if you think crime doesn't pay, look at who. Let's take a look at who crime does pay. It pays your judges. It pays that court stenographer. It pays that bailiff. It pays that prosecuting attorney. It pays that the the defense attorney. It pays all uh, those clerks. Jessica? Hey. Jessica, um, what you're saying actually ties into you know what I said earlier when I first started speaking. Like I said, they pumped drugs in our communities, but they didn't just pump drugs into the black community anymore. They discovered that it wasn't profitable just to, you know, incarcerate blacks, but they also needed to create a smoke screen to inject opioids to the white community. Now, you know, the biggest thing was when they injected those opioids, 
first, it, it's mainly they got the white people hooked on a drug now because now the black people have become, the black community has become smarter. Where I mean, we don't, I'm not saying drug use is a good thing, but inherently in the drugs that were being used, people became smarter about not getting in trouble, not getting caught. But now you need a new way to, you know, trap them. Not everybody wants to move cocaine because cocaine carries too much time. Not everybody wants to move everything else. But opioids are so easy to get and they're being pumped out legally. They're being pumped out by the dozens because, honestly, the cocaine trade was trying, was drying up. With all the deforestation of South America and the destruction it's causing, the cocaine crops are getting poorer and poorer by the year. They can't get the coke they used to from Colombia. So now you put in the opioids. thing is, crime always pays because the government's entire reason for creating a police system, if the system itself was never truly meant for, for the protection of the people, was for the punishment of the people. The people themselves have actual laws on the books that give us the right to handle, our, to handle and solve our discrepancies, even as a community. When we see problems in our community, problematic people in our community, we have actual laws that say we have the right to do something about them. Here, even in Florida, we have the Good Samaritan Law. At the basis level of the law, it says if you see something, say something. At its highest level, legally, if given reasonable need to, uh, to protect your life and property, you have the right to actually engage someone who is actually causing problems in your community. Yet, they don't want that. They want us to all be in fear of their authority. They want to be in fear of the police. But then, if all the communities are happy and safe, then who's going to fear the police? Usually, whenever they want to, to, to destroy a community, first they just start pump, they start pushing in the drugs, then they start lowering the economic value of that community. But they've, all, they've, like I said, they've been doing that for years. They want to, they want to keep everybody, when it comes to crime paying, they want to keep that ideal sold high. Look at our media nowadays. Like, we have, we have famous musicians whose biggest top, especially amongst hip-hop and the rap community, are always what? Like you said, uh, uh, money, getting getting the bag, getting getting paid, you know, selling drugs, doing drugs. Most of the music nowadays generally centers around people talk, kids talking about doing drugs and being sad about life. How's somebody going to actually come together and help their community if all they're doing is sitting up here doing drugs and lamenting a, a, a three-week relationship that went bad because they got toxic issues themselves but they ain't worked out from the way they were raised from a, from a, from a, a societal trap as a whole, you know? Well, I, 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 I look at it as what Malcolm X said, chickens coming home to roost, because it wasn't a problem when the opioids and heroin was in Harlem. It wasn't a problem when it was in Detroit. The difference between crack cocaine and cocaine is the class of people that are using it. The person that can do, that has a 1000 to $1,500 a week habit, chances are can afford a lawyer and, and fight that charge. The guy standing on the corner sending that $5, $10 vial of crack, he ain't got one. Oh, even more. I can it's not just a whole lot quicker and easier. I can pad my stats, and now I can go to the federal government. And I say, "Hey, man, look what we're doing. Look how we're uh, we're ridding uh, our communities and the cities of crime. Look at these numbers we've locked up." Because what you have to understand is these political positions. These 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 uh, these are elected officials, and with a political office and an elected official comes a politically driven agenda, self agenda. So no, while well, I don't, I, while cocaine may not be the the drug of choice, because in the eighties that was that people want to get high quick and cheap, and you can't do neither one with cocaine. So what do I do? Let me go raid my parents' liquor cabinet. Ooh, she's got Prozac. Ooh, she's got Vicodin. Oh, let me mix. Let me take these and sell these. Well, hold hold on one second. The the point that I'm making is one group of people got treatment programs, 
The other group of people got prison. Exactly. And if you cannot you know, pr- of, go ahead. I'm sorry. One of the most perfect examples from where I'm at right now here in Florida, the ep- the uh, spice epidemic from the early two the early 2010. Seriously, like that stuff came out on the market. It was marketed as a pot curry, so you just burn it's an incense. It just helps you feel calm and relaxed. People started realizing quick, hey, this is a drug. I can smoke this. And then people were starting to use this because at the time, marijuana was still illegal, still considered Schedule 1. And so we started, really, it was because of the whole spice epidemic that a stronger fight for marijuana legalization started after we were already started for medical legalization. But the spice epidemic was so bad. I mean, even in my own hometown, I have no doubt for a second the real reason they decriminalized, which, mind you, really just means that they just made it to where instead of actually putting you in jail and wasting their money, they're just going to take money out of your pockets for getting caught with it. The whole reason they even did that wasn't because they were trying to help the black community because there's so many in the black community that using it's an unfair, you know, problem. It was because they needed people to be more open about smoking marijuana to get spice off the street. You can go in some place. I live in a neighborhood. If you go right up to the main street near my house, you know, you can literally observe at all at, at every bus stop, literally every bus shelter on every block. You will find at least three people there, and more than likely they're all smoking spice. And it's because there was a huge epidemic. It got to the point to where the city adjacent to us actually evicted its entire homeless population. It literally criminalized homelessness. Why? Because most of the homeless there were also spice addicts, and it was becoming a huge epidemic. Well, why was why why was this even a problem? We already had you know other issues. It was because the crime rate in the last 10, 15 years, dropped dramatically. There's a neighborhood, a very popular area called Ewood City. I often go there. I often hang out there. When I first started hanging out there, I won't deny that it was due to the way, how wild and crazy it was. When I was young, I got shot at several times for altercations. I wasn't even truly involved in just to being involved with some people that might have been in, in conflict with some other people. But that was the kind of crime, that kind of conflict that got immediately eliminated to the point to where it nearly made the entire – the police force even actually started a night watch group because they were going to start to enforce stricter rules and laws on it. And then next thing you know, just by the fact that they did that, the crime rate dropped to almost nil because the business owners just that, that, that ended up having the businesses that unfortunately propagated those crimes disappeared. They were just gone in an instant. They were like, where did they go? And so suddenly they needed a new issue. They needed a new, they needed a new straw man. Any strong man that actually allowed that gave the police reason to be active in the communities. Then came spice. Then with spice came other designer drugs. With those other designer drugs came more police and heavy policing. But then when people started saying, Hey, you're actually arresting people for something that technically by law is legal, then the government was like, Crap, we got a situation. Then once they decides we're gonna gentrify our whole population and say, All of y'all gotta get out. They get pushed into my city. They get pushed into my city. Now they're everywhere. My city has to decriminalize a different drug, even though it's still federally illegal, just because they need people to get off of this other drug because they're having to put these people away, not even for the use of that drug, but for the actual activities they're engaging in. People randomly assaulting one another. Mobs of people just being in nice economic areas suddenly finding an entire park littered with the homeless who are literally look, look like literal walking zombies because they're so messed up on this design of drugs. They, they had to create, they constantly had to create new trauma and then clean up their mess constantly over and over and over again. That's just a, a, general, a general piece of the whole idea of how they gentrify an area. They create an issue, they use that well, issue what causes, for a reason. Well, if you have a strong community, you can't gentrify it. 
which goes and, – and what I'm about to say goes to your point. So because, like I said, it's, there's all oh. – there's always a financial component. There's always a financial motive. Oh. What was oh, the underlying right. motive? In, in my Say community, again? it's a historic area. And I said, I said you're true. Yeah, that's true. In my community, it's a historic area. One of the other things they use to gentrify in my community is eminent domain claims. Essentially, if they say, hey, we want to we wanna buy your property, they'll keep making you offers. First, they'll throw you a real big offer, but you'll be like, you know what? Even though it's all that money, you know what I'm saying? The people that the, the people that were really hard up for it and, like, were really, really poor, yeah, they jumped on that in an instant. Fifty, sixty, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 check to get rid of your old house that you can barely keep up, that you can barely keep anything, you know, fixed up in, or the property owners that were written, the slumlords that were written these places out, sixty k. Some of them slumlords weren't even getting paid to sell their houses. They were getting paid to improve their houses and, and, and raise the value of them, raise the value of the area as a whole to push people out. In this area, right. they and, and they, why but, And why is that? Again, that this goes to what I was saying. What is you have to look another three or four layers beneath that, because you tell me who has more money, the person paying a house note or the person whose house is paid off and has equity in that home. Back to what I was saying about community. If everybody in that community had banded together and said, I don't care what you offer, we're not selling because this this is how home ownership should work. One of these days, you'll have a child that will grow up and have to go off to college, and you're going to have an option. Say they got some scholarships, but it's still not enough. You've got two options. You can go to the bank for a loan, or you can pull that equity and the wealth out of your home to send that child to school. The smart option would be to take, is, is to take, is to take that wealth, take that money out of your home. I, I would. But you're when correct. You have, I've seen that. But when you have so many people going for self, and not understanding the larger picture, you have situations like that. So, so that's why I do not, and I will never, as a policy, feel bad for any middle-class white family in, in the Midwest that all of a sudden are crying out for help because Timmy is hooked on prescription drugs. But Johnny, when a few years ago, you wanted to lock his ass up. So now, and that's what I meant when I said this kind of like Malcolm X's statement about chickens coming home to roost. It wasn't a problem until it was at your front door. Now it's at your front door and in your backyard. Now what are you going to do oh, about it? See, and you see Isn't how that, quick the government was to act with their program. Any, when it, now, when it's programs for black people, oh, this socialist uh, agenda, this, so, this socialist construct. But when it's white people, oh, we got to do something to get these people help. No, this guy's Ooh, a, Can I give you this, a perfect this, example? Sure. Can I give you a perfect example? Obamacare. When Obamacare was rolled out, now don't get me wrong, I was some of the some of the aspects of Obamacare, I was like, uh, that's a little much. But the whole idea of it was a, a, a form of universal health care that still, you know, tried to appease these Republican, you know, congressmen and, and senators who were all like, no, that's socialist, this, that, and third. But it's like, okay, we'll make it to where they pay for it, but they pay for it with the money we already demand from you anyway. Our taxes, right? When you uh, and now, how are you going to force somebody? To pay for something, to pay for healthcare when they don't have a job to hold begin on. with. Force me hold on, to do hold on, hold on. But let me, but let me finish this. Here's the thing, though. The state of Kentucky. You know, what's the funniest thing about Kentucky? Kentucky actually wrote is the most one of the most Republican states around. They were one absolutely against Obamacare. So you know what they turned around and did? They made it a state program. 
and suddenly these people turned around and said, "Oh, we're all for this." Why? Because it was a it was a banner. It was a, it was a political it was it was a political scheme. They sold this program to them under the very same party that they follow simply because they were against Obama and they were against the Democratic Party. All these people a- absolutely you don't want this help they, from this black man. That's basically but, when you get down to the root of it. That's all it came back to. This is a good plan. Yeah, that's this all is it a was. program. <laughs> it's coming from this black man, and we don't want nothing to do with it. And it's it's, exactly. it's no and different from how uh, Donald Trump has tried to hijack the narrative and pivot the Affordable Care. He wants to get people all riled up by calling it Obamacare when it's really exactly. called the Affordable a- Care Act. And then he made his own version called the American uh, American Health Care Act. Which is basically the exact same program. But it's a pared down version. It's the same exact thing. Absolutely. It was like the whole idea is people are arguing about this whole idea of you know, you know this idea that oh this is socialist, but it's like they fail to, even even the white people who are against it fail to realize the entire reason they have the ability to have the wealth they have now is because a white man instituted socialist programs in the 1940s after the after the Great Depression. Um, uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. He actually the New Deal plan. The New Deal. Most of his plan was socialist. He literally yeah, the taxes. The New Deal. The, You're absolutely the right. The, risk, the taxes on the rich were raised to ninety percent to cover this. They were they raised the taxes on the highest one percent to ninety percent, and they were robbing them. You know what I'm saying? Hand over fist, and they were taking that money. They were pumping it back into the middle class community. But again, this is the time before you know civil rights era. This wasn't going to the black community. This is entirely going to the white community. Is entirely going to the white middle class, the working class. You know, then at the time, around that time, that is when America really decided it was time to assert themselves as a dominant military superpower because of the military industrial complex. They needed to sell that, that it was one of the ways that they realized we make a lot, we can make a lot of money. We created nukes. We created a weapon capable of destroying any enemy. And we could, we could use it with impunity, but we know for the sake of the fact that we still put our power and faith in the people, too much use of this weapon could have you know, disastrous retribution. So then they start finding new ways of manufacturing new wars, the Vietnam Wars, all of the smaller wars, Korea, all, all those wars. All of those wars are created because they needed a reason to test, use, and sell weaponry. As a matter of fact, pumping that back into today, extrapolating that to today, you hear about how there was this whole issue about the assault rifle bans and they're going to take our guns, Obama's going to take our guns. What did it exactly do? It bolstered the sales of guns by thousands of percent. The second people said, oh, they're gonna, the government's going to take our guns, people went out and started buying guns in droves. Oh, they're going to ban the AR-15, one of the highest-selling uh, assault rifles you can buy. Oh, you can't take the assault, you can't modify the AR-15 to be fully automatic. You have to buy this, that, and the third. The AR-15, the, a lot of people were saying, oh, uh, you know, there's that whole thing where they're saying, oh, you just think AR means assault rifle. No, it means armor light rifle. But even more so, the Armalite rifle was actually derived from the 1960s M16 that was used in the Vietnam War. It was extremely popular for use in the war, and there were many military servicemen who wanted to have that one for civilian use. So they sought they, they sought to get this purchase. So Colt said, "All right." So so the government said, "All right, we're going to sell this to one of our domestic weapons manufacturers and give them rights to produce this gun." And that's exactly what they did. They created the AR-15. The AR-15 didn't even come into prominence. Really, until in actuality, it began being used by criminals who are always trying to be on the cutting edge of, you know, technology and weaponry in, in terms of fighting off the government and law enforcement. When a robbery occurred, a 
I believe it was in Texas, a robbery occurred where the police were completely out, outmatched in terms of firepower. They had pistols, revolvers, they had shotguns, but these robbers literally had these Colt rifles. Moreover, the Armalite rifle actually is the exact same schematic with a different outside, with a different outside design. Okay, so internally, it is exactly the same as the M16. They use the exact same firing shape of firing pan, except the, M- the AR-15 used a firing pan that was about um, 300 of an inch in size, whereas the Colt, with, its fully out- with the uh, original M16, which is fully automatic, had to use a firing pan that was two- 250th of an inch. So people started getting to the point to where, if I could just modify this with military-grade parts, I got a fully automatic rifle. Thus, they were starting to use it for they were starting to use it for criminal means. They got that that actual police force had to go down and raid a um a, a gun owner store who had several uh AR-15 uh he had several Colt M16s you know in his inventory and actually used those to fight back against these robbers just to have an advantage. From there, the whole weapons race exploded. You know, in the 90s we had that was when they had to drop the assault rifle ban because of uh, the the unfortunate incident with the Columbine shooting. When they, when these white kids decided we're just gonna go grab us some, some you know, some firearms and we're gonna modify them so that they're fully automatic. But this had already been something that had been a problem anyway because as soon as they created fully automatic weapons, they had been pumped into, uh, 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 they had been pumped into urban communities. One thing that always boggles my mind to know that I've actually found out from, 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 from some research, I, w- I need to go back and find the point. You would think that when it comes to military equipment, there would be an absolutely strong, and I mean the utmost level of security and maintaining possession of that. Yet multiple times during the 80s, military military convoys transporting these weapons were raided by street gangs. Now, how is it the military manages to actually not be capable of securing its own weapons against street gangs who aren't even armed at the level that they are? because they wanted those weapons to fall into the hands of the urban community. They wanted to create a scare, a public scare, that would cause the gun-toting, you know, right-wingers to say, you know what, we're going to buy more weapons. We're going to buy more powerful weapons. Same thing. I, I would challenge that point to say that maybe the, the trucks and the shipments that were hijacked, they were told to stand down and not defend themselves. No, that's exactly my point. That's exactly yeah. my point. The military that maintains the right to defend itself and protect American secrets and assets with impunity, even against the American people. As I mentioned before about this whole joke about the Naruto running the Area 51, the, the military is having legitimate briefings about the security measures they are going to take in preparation for the possibility that this event actually happens. That means that quite likely they are going to engage in the use of lethal force because Area 51 actually has uh, authorization to use deadly force. So my point is, why would they not have authorization to use deadly force to protect these weapon convoys? If these, these, are, these are military materials that need to go to different bases that are needed for the soldiers. And, and, and you can't just say, oh, it's because they can make more. No, they wanted them to get out. They wanted these to get into the hands of the people. They wanted to create this scare. They let this scare grow, and then they continue to fund the sales of gun manufacturers because of the part, because those same manufacturers, Colt, uh, Smith & Wesson, all of them, they are contracted with the U.S. military. So when they actually let these weapons get out into the streets, people who want to protect themselves but are still going to follow the rules are going to legitimately go out and spend their money to buy these weapons and droves. Again, just like in recent times, all of the scares from all the school shootings, the whole idea of arming teachers and stuff, the whole idea of, of, of uh, 
banning assault weapons, assault rifles, and all types of uh, assault weapons and military grade weapons. It was all done as a scare to actually bolster the sales. But even more so in that, there's a deeper, there's a much deeper uh, uh, plan going on. If you arm all the people who have your side in the argument and the situation against those dissenters who are also willingly not arming themselves in the event that a situation breaks out, your side is already prepared. The people who already support you, even without getting a damn thing out of it, are going to be willingly, you know, engaged in and in, in, uh, in, um, actually fighting for what they stand for, fighting for their patients and fighting for their police and, and shooting down these dissenters. That in and of itself is just one of the one of the pieces in the checklist for the rise of the authoritarian state of which we're now moving towards. Now, I want to I want to add something. You mentioned the Columbine shootings. Now, uh, be mindful that in '97 they had a shootout with uh, the North Hollywood Bank shootout, where the police wasn't armed to battle the weaponry. That these gentlemen had. Uh, now, and they, yeah, went they were too armed. They went to uh, a pawn shop. Out. Matter of fact, you know what? I want to. Re- I want to say something. You're absolutely correct. What you're quoting right now is the exact story I just misquoted as taking place in 1972. I got my time. Okay. I got my time drawn. No, not a problem. And you know, and also, be mindful that you know, we we sit back and 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 we can speculate, but. There's no reason why a, a vehicle full of guns is found in the alley in Chicago, in in, in, the, in the black community. Um, I was just so, make that absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. So I mean, look at Chicago. It's it's, it's kind of by design. Um, for, uh, no, well, Chicago. Is is not as bad as is is they try, try to make it out. The, the, one of the issues is, I believe, like we were saying initially, the government is is the corporate in all this, and we keep and we keep trying to blame, <laughs> and we, we're blaming someone else. You know, they're throwing the rocket high in their hand. It's it's by design that we are at odds with each other because, like you said in the very beginning, as long as you're divided. As long as you're divided, we can yeah. do whatever we see what want. I was, and, see what I was saying about Chicago, though? When it comes to the whole gun, you're right. It is the government, but it's at it's multiple bubbles. Yes, there are the moments where, you know, they, they leave a car full of guns in the middle of an urban neighborhood knowing that people are going to go out there and be like, they're going to keep an eye out, they're going to look around, and when nobody comes from, suddenly those guns are going to go missing to be in the hands of the people, possibly in the hands of criminals who are going to use them for criminal activities. But what I'm saying also is you also have to look at Chicago's gun laws. I mean, yes, they have. They can have on one hand some of the strictest laws, but they have one of the easiest levels of actual legal gun ownership, as well as one of the easiest laws of getting guns without ever actually needing a license. Technically, you are supposed to have a license for the possession of a firearm, any firearm, in, in, in the state of Illinois. Yet here it is, you can have any. That's not constitutional, though. That's not constitutional. So right? Constitutional. Give you, give you the right to bear arms. Not unless you got a yeah. felony. And if you look at some of the Negative. laws that are being today in some of the legal marijuana states that are in the states that have legalized marijuana, guess what you can't have if you have a marijuana card, if you have a, 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 a license, a gun. Now, here's the other thing that I, I you know, to your point, people have been shooting up shit for years. You can go, 
pick at any time, any date in history. White folks been killing, for, uh, been doing these mass shootings for years. So the point about they have the attack, most, they have the most serial killers. Yeah, firearm so use of, amongst America. Fire, I'm just gonna say firearm use in America is American as apple pie itself. It's the very fabric of which this country was founded upon. One of the number one tenets of why we are so adamant about firearms. When we had, when America seceded from, you know, you know, England, one of the, they said, lay down your arms, and America said, no, we're not doing that. You know, and that is why also mm-hmm. even in the Constitution, the whole reason for the right to bear arms specifically, like I said, us officially are a populace is one that is capable of maintaining its independence. As long as the people are armed, it doesn't matter who says, hey, we're your new authority. Now, if the people say, no, we got guns and we say that ain't the case, we got, basically it boils down to the very words of Miles Zedong, who said this sometime in the 90s, power grows from the end of a gun. Okay, so as long as these people have the weaponry to, to take their liberty by force, even if it means killing others, they're gonna they're gonna that that's the very fabric of, of the American way. It doesn't matter what we do. It can it, tomorrow they could try to say guns are are, are are officially banned, and they would still be the ones ensuring that guns got put in the hands of the American people for any reason whatsoever, just to ensure that there was still chaos and crime in America. You could ban guns right now, but there are way too many there are way too many guns. Everywhere, I mean, I'm standing on my street right now, and I don't doubt that every house, that at least every household has at least on my street right now has at least one firearm, save for the couple of people I know for sure are very anti-gun. You know, so it's the American way. You can go anywhere. There's states, there are areas in Texas where you can get guns without even a license, without even a background check. You just go in and say, "Hey, I want that one," hey, and you're out. Fresh firearm, maybe at most of this you get one box or uh, a shell. You know. America is never going to let go of its gun obsession because we be, we believe in that inalienable right. But that is also the exact reason why they can't are able to divide us. Like I said, greatest care about guns, make people buy more guns. Next thing you know, the populace is armed. I mean, even personally, I said there are a lot of firearms uh, that have various capacities for self-defense, for uh, home defense, both in an urban environment and in a rural environment. But what is the need for a rifle that can be modified to shoot up to like 100 rounds a minute? You know what? What is the need for that? What do you? What do you? What do you need? And anything more like than that? a forty-four or a forty-five is overkill. If you're talking about felt uh, home protection, and one of the other things that, that I would look at as underlying conspiracy, if you will, is with these laws and, and the the unfair practice of you know of uh, uh, with the sentencing and, and how laws are subjectively applied is really comes back down to self-preservation. We all have heard the stats about by X year, the world will be so many percent brown than white. White people know this. They're very and they've been out in front of it silent. They just haven't said anything. But you got black and brown, you have minorities in their face Almost damn near rejoicing at the fact that the world color sh- uh, uh, color line I, I, will 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 shift and change. So if I can lock enough of you up, and if I can put uh, and if I can put the, uh, a good portion of you in jail, or or and have the other half kill yourself, and then I and I implement these programs. To save my Midwestern values and principles, and to get 
these good wholesome young white children that are, are addicted to to uh, prescription drugs, if I can right their ship, my race goes on. What happens to yours? And 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 that's my whole focus. That's 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 my position. It's going to be a cultural one or it's going to be a financial one. But it all comes back to one of those who you're trying. You want to lock us up so that we die out and you can maintain your position of authority or perceived authority and you can keep hoarding land resources money for yourself and for your community that's the way i see it that's 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 that underlying narrative that foundational layer that i was talking about earlier it all's going it's it's all going to come back to that if enough of y'all kill yourself it's easier for me to lock the rest of y'all up when i do that i'm going to have these these teenagers or, or, or this, these adolescent, these white adolescents coming out clean, focused, with a renewed sense of, of spirit and, and a focus and a purpose to to continue and carry on my legacy. That's, that's, what you basically just said can be summarized by the 14 words. I'm not, I don't remember exactly all of what they were, but it basically goes something like, so I think if we must secure. A, a, a future for our, our white children and our white people in, in this world. And yeah, that's all they want. They want to secure their existence. And it's like you had an entire area. The world was geographically divided. It was almost basically geographically divided by race. You found most of the a- actual blacks that we know now in Africa. You know, you found people of variating race and color and, you know, similar amount of lives because of, you know, that the whole natural progression of human travel and, you know, evolution and, and you know, movement in other areas. But these people want to sit up here and say our number because as a, when it comes to the races, we have one of the highest rates of, of, of you know, of birth success. I'm, I'm going to be straight up with that. You got China over there with a population so huge. They had their national law that said every family is going to have one child because their population is exploding too quickly. You got Japan. You know, there's 100 million people. There's over 100 million living in a country. Out, you know, there's about 20 million of them living in a giant, living in a giant metropolitan capital. Of this country, you got Africa. I mean, King Leopold II was actually known for having responsible for a total, actual estimated count of over the deaths of a hundred million Africans over the course of of, of, of of his presence in Africa. Of course, that has always been 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 their way. But again, as I said before, if you study, if one of the things that uh, one of the things I believe Michael Mech said this is, you got to study your enemy to know know their moves. If you look at all of their uh, conquerors in history, all of their great leaders in history, one thing they have all agreed on is you—you you, got to keep the people divided, and more importantly, you got to keep the slaughter going. You got to keep—you got to keep fighting. You got to keep conquering. You got to keep killing. You got to keep taking out these people. And not only that, it's the narrative of how they see it. They see themselves as the first civilized people. They see themselves as the first people that that you know came up in, in this world and were like. They see themselves as being the progenitor race, and yet everyone else is just a bunch of animals and savages. Hell, in Australia, up until the 1960s, the, Abor- the Aborigines were classified as flora and fauna. Okay? They were even classifi- classified as actual human beings. They were seen as just semi-sentient animals. Okay? Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Go back to your corners. Go back to your corners. We've got to pay the bills, and we're going to come right. back and resume. From the streets to the pulpit is sponsored in part by Q's Traditional Cuts, setting new standards to old tradition. 
Visit the talented professionals at Hughes Traditional Cuts. That's www.hughestraditionalcuts.com. So for everybody who's just joining us, we're talking about who's really in control of of this nonsense we have going on. And me personally, I believe that, that the government is in control. They have us at odds with each other just so that they can continue to profit off of this. Um, as long as we're destroying each other and they allowing us to slap, well, they're slapping labels on us to keep us divided. Um, also, also, they're, prop- they're propagating the fear and, and, and privilege. So it's, it's not by design. So what you're hearing is the specific ideas and, and thoughts from two, two brothers essentially who are in agreement for the most part. Um, we're going to introduce Pastor to the line, and we're going to uh, continue to let you brothers go ahead with your, your arguments. Well, one one of the things that you know, and and I don't want to keep talking there. What's your name? What's your name, guy? My name? Yeah. Um, you can call me Bear. Yeah, I go by Bear. Bear. That's that's the most common. Yeah, that's the most common name I go by. Okay. So you know, like you, we're talking about how this this media machine, how the government is continuously stirring oh. the pots of of misinformation, which oh, yes. again is spreading. Because how many times a day or over the past, what, two, three years that Trump has been in office, this man is probably the most fact-checked. Uh, he, he's proven to be one of three things, just flat-out wrong, or he's fabricated some details. Or I'm going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump is a quintessential salesman. He talks you up. Yeah. He boasts your head up. He gets you really hyped up, really feeling his argument. You know what I'm saying? He really knows how to bring the vibe and the energy and how to talk to the right kind of people to get them on his side while entirely selling them nothing but absolute bullshit, much like he has done with his actual businesses. Not only as well, you saying correctly, he, he is the most fact-checked. This is also the same man who has spent the most time in court over litigation over his business practices, both whether he's actually gone himself possibly in an attempt to use legal might to overpower others as well as others having to take the law having to take the law off of their side in a fight against he's him bullying for his them. business practices. Yes. He's, he's a bully. He is a quintessential bully. He's a bully. And 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 that goes to my point what I'm saying. In light of all this and this is why I say the American people are not interested in the truth. They want to be made to feel comfortable. Because Exactly. If any one of you were in if, – if you change that, if you change positions and, and, and uh, you, you put on his shoes, once it's determined that you're wrong or that you just completely outright lied, you lose support. Now, that doesn't mean that people won't like you, but I can't stand by you and co-sign what you're talking about because it's already been proven on numerous occasions. But you made this up. You outright lied to the American people. 
and the American people have stood up and said, we don't care. He's, he says no, things. Know even worse? You know what's even worse? I want to point this out. Some of those same American people you're talking about, they even are aware of his lies. They can't be propagated because they basically would try to decide the, the le- what, they, what, what they see as the lesser of two evils. They would rather choose his side and deal with the fact that there are a lot of people out there who are absolutely right simply because their truth makes them uncomfortable. They are uncomfortable with the fact that they know that there is inequality, there is prejudice, there is this whole uh, that there's this whole idea of privilege versus uh, 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 discrimination. They don't like the fact that that is being pushed on their plate because they don't want to deal with it. So they don't have to just jump on the Trump train and be like, "No, I support Trump. I I don't care what you're saying. Your lips are just that and a third. They don't even. Some of them are clearly aware that he's a liar. Do they care? No. Oh, he's charming. I like him. He's he's, he's the kind of guy I really like to have a beer with. One he thing, changed what we're thinking. Up. Huh? Huh? I mean, it, it, I think one. I, I think it was Gloria Steinem that said, "The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off." Yep. And exactly and one thing true. that I in in my life, white people do not like to be inconvenienced. They like to stay in their bubble, and they like to have things the way that they've made it up in their mind. They don't deal in reality, or they don't deal well with reality. And Trump is a perfect shining example. Of that denial. And I think oh, it really bore you. They would have taken anybody. They just was tired of having Obama in, there, in, in the office for eight years. They just wanted somebody. Oh. That's how much they don't care who the Republican Party. They could have trotted out homie the clown. They would have voted for him. They just oh, yeah. did I can, not want. I can tell you from personal Go ahead. experience. I can tell you from personal experience. I, I Again, I have had a lot of experience, especially doing white people of different, you know, socioeconomic class of status, okay? One of my ex girlfriends, okay, she came she was she was she was a white girl. She came from a well very well off family. Her, her Did father you say one of Dang bro <laughs> <laughs> uh, I caught that. I caught you tried to sneak it in there. I caught that. Well, yeah, she was you know, her father was a civil engineer. He 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 can't he lived in a very nice household. They lived in a family. Here's one of the funniest anecdotes about the family. There was a community directly adjacent to them that was much nicer, much better secure, had 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 a, a much nicer houses, totally affordable. He, it, it wouldn't have been nothing for them to pay 800k for a house. He paid 300k for his house in a different community just because it had a cheaper homeowners association uh, 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 cost. My point is, just taking that aside, these are people who are Irish Catholics, okay? Yeah, Irish Catholics, mind you, I literally had to find out hilariously from them that incidentally they had Nazi lineage in them. They had actual German lineage in them that actually were former members of the Nazi party. They even had their father showed me an actual knife. It was a knife they used to give to the children of, 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 of uh, members of the Nazi party that were, uh, I guess it was just a, a badge of, of honor declaring them, you know, the children of Nazis. Feel me? So here it is. I'm living in this family. They are actually Irish Catholics, very conservative. Even they didn't agree with Trump, and they, they, the only reason they voted for him, they agreed with some of his policies, but they literally voted for him because they disagreed. They simply did not like Hillary Clinton. They simply did not like Hillary Clinton, and that is exactly why they voted for Trump. Don't get me wrong. There are very good reasons why one could have had a suspicious ideal of Hillary Clinton, but also this is a family that religiously, when I walk into that house, there's only two channels that were ever on the TV. Fox News and Turner Classic Movies. That's how old-fashioned these people were. Mind you, <laughs> that's to say, that much, this is a family that also, they know I am dating, and despite their, 
conservative proclivities engaging in sexual relations with their daughter, and I'm living under the roof. They let me live under the roof for six months. Not entirely scot-free. I was helping them around around the house. I was helping them out with their daily lives and stuff. Damn, there for a moment, I'm sitting up there thinking to myself, and I'm like, am I really just a housewife with the additional benefit of not getting my feet cut off for begging their daughter? Like, that was my whole mindset living in this situation. But actually <laughs> talking to these people and getting to know them, they really aren't even the worst of people. They really aren't. They're actually, I'm sitting up there talking to them, and it's like half their actual issue is they're just conservative. They just like conservative. They, like I said, they were Catholic. They were Latin Catholic. They went to Latin Catholic Mass every Sunday. Their father, if the whole family didn't go, every single morning, he woke up at 7 a.m., got dressed, and his son was in service because his son was also a very devout Catholic, even though he was mostly into it for, for the spiritual practices and actually following most of the actual tenets of, of their religion. He would go with them, too. They would religiously go to church, every, go to Mass every Sunday. The daughter... Hit or miss. She'd only go. She wasn't really big on the religion. She'd only go during holidays because it was a, a it was a family tradition. The whole family goes. You know, the wife didn't always go either. But I'm living in the household. I'm getting to know these people. Okay, these are the same people that are voting for this man. Literally, are voting for him. I mean, I'm sitting up here and I'm like, I don't even understand how in the hell I've gotten even this far. I'm living in your house. You're happily ha- having me at your table. I'm getting to know everybody in your family, your community. My face is well known. I'm real good with the young, with, with that young son. My friend, my, my my girl, my ex, she had a young son. Unfortunately, she had some complications during pregnancy. He was born with autism. Okay, let me again. Let me explain to you how how well off this family is. This kid required a two thousand dollar medicine every like twice a week. He 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 had a, a immunodeficiency issues. He had to require he required hemoglobin trans uh, transfusions twice a week okay this is a two thousand dollar medicine they actually adopted the kid from their daughter just to help just so she could finish school because she got pregnant while she was in college and this is the same family that that they could get all the literal state said you can have all the benefits we'll give you cash assistance we'll give you food stamps we'll give you medical anything you need for this kid this kid has a free grad to college when he turns 18 so he's 28 fully paid for by the state, and their dad just said, nah, I'm good, I can pay for all of that. This man literally just said, I'm good, I can pay for all of that, and then on top of that, it's literally letting his his daughter's boyfriend live in his house, okay, eat his food. But these are the same people I'm talking to them, I'm getting to know them, they're not the kind of people that are, they're the kind of people that are sitting up here and deliberately agreeing that there is inequality in the world, that black people are at a disadvantage, that, 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 that these people are being treated unfairly, that the idea that everyone must be treated fairly, that everyone must work hard on their own to make it, but that we will still come together as a community. I mean, but the only reason they're going to be voting for Donald Trump is because a couple of his policies they agree with, and mostly because they don't like Hillary Clinton. Flip that around. I actually have another best friend of mine. She's from a poor family. She lives in a trailer park, straight up and down Confederate, rebel flags everywhere, three kids running around with dirt all over their faces and snot noses, okay? Mom's just the only one in the house working, you know what I'm saying? Her boyfriend is a, is a, carpent, is a freelance carpenter who constantly gets fired from every job, has literally been to jail who knows how many times and just let out just as quick for straight-up felonies, you know what I'm saying, catching felonies and literally getting out after a year, you feel me? These people have said absolutely nothing, and I mean absolutely zero to benefit from voting for Donald Trump. Because he doesn't give a shit about them, the kind of people they are, the situations they're in. They're still all for his side because they just don't like Hillary Clinton. 
the political divide the media creates, especially with news corporations like Fox News, even left even left leaning corporations like MSNBC, like the divide they create in the people. It's all just a smoke screen. They all just want us to sit up here and argue and bicker and fight over policy. It doesn't matter if somebody else wants to get an abortion, if it doesn't affect you. But to sell the idea that Planned Parenthood is being entirely paid for by the government, is is doing abortions on government funds, it's ludicrous. Okay? I'm not going to say what my, my opinions are on Planned Parenthood, but objectively speaking, this is a company that has absolutely nothing to do with you that provides a service that where you educated or even bother to educate yourself on, you would learn you don't pay a dime for it, yet you're happy to listen to the news media telling you, hey, these people right here, they're out here, they, they only have one purpose. They just want to, 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 to pay for all, of this, all these people to just run around and have all of this free uninhibited sex and get pregnant and just dump the babies solely scot-free because the government's paying for it. It's like, no. That is not the case. There are people out here that unfortunately become pregnant because of circumstances they were un, they were they were not they did not consent to, you know, circumstances that they unfortunately did not have the power to prevent that need these services, and you're just going to take that away from them simply because oh you you believe what the news says. The news tells you all oh, these people want to take your guns. Like I said before, you go out and buy more. The news, Fox News. Especially, it is no longer a a news corporation. It's a propaganda machine. However, I'm going to say, because as I said before, I'm an anarchist, I also blame our former great president of who we hold in such high esteem, Barack Obama. He was also the same man that before he left office actually signed an act in the law that basically legalized propaganda. Ever since Obama became, after Obama's presidency, all I have seen, I had already seen a little bit of it in political advertising. All the political advertising just became straight-up attacked. They don't even actually make valid points about their political, you know, stances or ideas. It's literally just, oh, this person did this wrong, that wrong, that wrong. Don't vote for them. This person's way better. They don't do any of that. They never did any of this wrong. Mind you, this is the same, the same person they're big enough has a multi-billion-dollar company that is committing all kinds of ecological violations, is committing all kinds of human rights violations. But, oh, this is a better person to vote for because that person does all kinds of nasty things. Propaganda, pure and simple. I'm sorry. No, don't apologize, man. Don't apologize. This this is a very unapologetic line. So you you speak your truth, brother. You speak your truth, and you doing a damn good job. So let it out, get it off your chest. So at some point, we're gonna figure out how we're gonna. Right these wrongs and realize who the enemy is so we can come together as the human race and stop running around like this is a rat race, killing off each other and then other people profit off of it. So you go ahead and get it off your chest. I mean, everything that I'm, I'm putting out there is just we as a people to really come together, we have to, we have to put us really put aside our prejudices. One, we have to stop letting other people tell us what to be prejudiced against someone else for. Simple as that. We can't sit up here and, and we can't just sit up here and say, oh, because the news says these people are bad, they're bad. We need, one, first-hand experience that changes everything. As I said before, the two, the two different, you know, white families I'm talking about, these are still two white families that welcomed me into their home, fed me at their table, helped me in my time of need, you know, 
whenever I could pay them back, I did. When I couldn't pay them back, you said it's cool. You know, but these are also the same people that voted for the people in power because they were following a propaganda machine. They were following a machine that said, this is bad, that's bad, or they were following that this person's bad, they're going to do this, that, and the third, creating scare tactics, you know, creating situations in which we as a people are, are, are running around like sheep being easily manipulated. You know, what's the point? In, 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 like they said, some people are out here saying, oh, I don't vote because my vote doesn't count. And it's like the worst part about it is they, they, they aren't entirely wrong because even though they should still be out there fighting, they should actually not be sitting around in apathy because they feel like they are powerless. They should actually be getting up in arms and fighting for, for, for that right to have that to have their democracy because they're, the, the system is just, is just telling them no matter what you do, we're going to do it our way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote an actual, a literal, a now propaganda machine or that is a corporate propaganda machine that on this but their tagline is democracy dies in darkness. That is the actual tagline of the Washington Post, which is an actually which is a corporate open media company, which is actually owned by Amazon, owned by Jeff Bezos. This is the man who who, who changed this whole this whole the whole image of Washington Post to that democracy dies in darkness, and yet you are the same man enacting the very darkness that democracies are dying. Because when it comes down to it, the government. Is, is our problem right now. The government and its propaganda and it keeping us divided for the sake of keeping its power as a status quo is an issue. But ultimately, the government is soon going to become the puppets of, puppets of the corporations. They're already the puppets. When it comes to a lot of the laws that we want passed or don't get passed, why don't they get passed? Because the corporations go out, they pay lobbyists to, to go down there and fight for, you know, fight against those particular bills. They pay actual, they pay these actual politicians. They give them Trips, they give them, you know, gifts, financial gifts, all all kinds of all kinds of stuff, you know, free products, this, that, and thirds, you know what I'm saying, paying for luxury trips for the whole place. They're doing all of this because they want them in their pocket. They want to keep that them they want to keep them under their control. The government itself at this point, even if there is a level of the government that is still trying to be independent of those corporations, they are still ultimately under the fact that as all other gentlemen said before, I don't know if it's still on the line. That way back in the day, uh, Nixon, uh, I believe it was either Nixon or Reagan, abolished the gold standard and allowed and gave the Federal Reserve the right to create free money. Okay, these are just those same people. They, that that whole system was done for a reason. So long as we can print that free money, so long as we can constantly inflate the dollar and control it, the corporations are always going to win. The whole reason that was done was solely because of the corporations. If you say, hey, a dollar is only based on the value of what we produce as a whole, as a country with gross domestic product. Now you've got corporations nowadays, they are forcing productivity to the point to where people are becoming unable to, to, to sustain themselves and a job for longer than six, eight months before they're like, I got to go find a new job. The job is killing me. No breaks, this, that, and third. But this is all because those same corporations have now gotten invaded the government. The government itself is inherently our problem, but Really, at the root of it all, authority is our problem. We keep letting too many you, systems, whether they be government, corporate, they come up, and we give them too much power. I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, Abraham Abraham Lincoln said, "We the people, we are we the people are the rightful masters of both Congress and courts, not to overthrow the Constitution, but to overthrow the men who pervert the Constitution." And I think that's exactly. what we we kind of have going on right now. An absolute perversion. I mean, we have 
there are, there are, there are massive constitutional rights violations across the board. We have freedom of speech, which is being censored because you now have corporations like Facebook with their social media. I mean, they are able to now create computer algorithms that can cause certain material they don't want to be seen. Instead of just pushing it down, instead they find something else to explode, to distract people. You know, let's create something else new. Let's create a new trend. Let's see people, it is off of that. They're subverting free speech. People are speaking out. They're not being hurt. Well, if that's the case, then it seems like it's more of a, of a dictatorship. The difference between it, a democracy and a dictatorship is that a democracy, you vote first and take orders later. In a di- dictatorship, you don't have to waste your time voting. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. We go out. It is a dictatorship. The only difference is we're just choosing our dictators. That's all that happens. We go out and we say, okay, which one seems like the one that's going to be – which dictator seems like they're going to be more likely to align with my views? Because we're not even going out and saying which one of these people is going to be more likely to care about not to, to, to you know enact all the people's views as a whole and then deciding on that person leading. It's just, hmm, this person is aligned with this, this, and this particular issue. I'm going to vote for them. It ain't even a matter of, you know, do I even have, do I even want to know what this person's doing? These people sell themselves. They sell themselves as being people you want, and then we just forget that we have electoral processes when these people do wrong that that can get them out. We've been talking about, you know, what I'm saying, waiting until 2020 to vote Donald Trump out of office. I'm sorry, we could have we could have friggin' put in for a referendum after a year and sent a memorandum around, had another vote, just kicked him out automatically. But of course. Due to the fact that our electoral system also runs on the electoral college, which is basically a skewed system designed to also maintain power and status quo, we don't even feel like we have that right. Most of the people who really want to fight for, you know, a change that are really against Donald Trump, they all live in heavily metropolitan areas. They all live in heavily populated areas, and unfortunately, that makes them live in the five most populous states in the United States. That's New York, Florida, California, Texas, and um, 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 crap. I'm actually forgetting one, but my point being. Those states, you know what I'm saying, even though Texas is heavily Republican, and I know that they're very right-leaning, it's, it's still, there's still a, a split. It's, just, it's only a little bit. The, 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 the Republican Party only has like maybe a 10% more control over the Democratic Party in Texas. But the point is, most of those people who will fight for the Democratic side, they're not, they're not in the other states. You know, when you have power divided like that, when you have the people who sit up here and, and espouse these ideals of helping one another also – Living amongst one another, and then you divide, you use that system to collapse the amount of power they have. You have 30 other states, 40 other states, where it's like there are people who are independent, divided from one another, don't talk to their neighbors, aren't connected, you know what I'm saying, and still follow these conservative ideals. So just say, yeah, we're gonna still just, we're still gonna vote for these guys. Even when there's people that say different, it's like, oh, well, the majority voted for this party, so this state goes majority to that party, you know? It was all it was all set up for us. It was all set up for us to fail. Democracy was always meant to be destroyed because every great conqueror again believes that if you give the people too much power, it is believed that the people will not have the knowledge to, or the understanding of how to properly, you know, direct themselves. This is the idea behind authoritarianism as a whole. Authoritarianism says that we are the highest power that dictate what goes on and you are nothing more than the people who are supposed to enact and follow the rules of which we set forth. You know, you go out and you want to vote on the law. I'm sorry. Mussolini Mussolini said democracy is talking itself to death. 
but people do not know what they want. They do not know what is best for them. There is too much foolishness, too much lost motion. I have stopped the talk and the nonsense. I am a man of action. Democracy is beautiful in theory. In practice, it is a fallacy. You in America will see that someday. So I think as Americans, we we will see it. We we will see that. It's it's time to I mean, for us to take our positions, and, and like you said, it, the roles are reversed. I pay taxes, so I should have some say. You know what I mean? Versus, I'm just following the orders of this guy who have no relation to what's going on. Me personally, I, I believe that you know more of a libertarian stance. You know. Less government involved in people's personal life. You mentioned earlier about the abortion. That's not that's not the government's role to tell people what to do with their bodies. Exactly. It's really not. Indeed. I agree with that. I mean, even when it comes down to libertarianism, I'm a little iffy, but overall, libertarianism is essentially what they call um, um, classic liberalism. But as a whole, the other idea is. Yeah, we as a people as a whole, when it comes to something that affects us all, maybe should I say, but if it comes to something that, you know, affects us all, but on an individual level, you know, that's not something I engage in, that's something somebody else engages in, that's not my problem, you know. It's, it's basically that that's not my problem stance. The thing is, it's like, as a whole, we as a people, and like you were saying about Mussolini, we, we are divided. We, we say we don't know what we want, but that's exactly the thing about why we have a democracy and why, we, why I, I say myself I'm an anarchist. Because even if you don't know what you want, and maybe sometimes I don't know what I want, but I do know what I want, I'm going to go after what I want, I'm going to do what I want to do, I'm going to do things how I want to see it. Now, my whole viewpoint on a lot of things, especially with, with the, one of the topics of faith, to me, one of the things is when we all as a people, as a matter of fact, I had an argument with my coworker about this, when we all as a people can actually stop seeing our own individual viewpoints and see the points where we actually do agree, that is the point in which we all start working together. But until then, as long as, they, as long as we can't see those points, we won't, we won't work together. Mussolini, of course, did the same thing with Italy. He, one of the reasons the people of Italy were, were so obsessed with Mussolini's rule, he was that one I quote I, I remember seeing in one of my books was a woman who actually said Mussolini made the trains run on time, and no other ruler before him could do that. Something as arbitrary as making sure a person could get to and from their destination in a timely manner was enough to make them sway their opinion towards authoritarianism. It has actually been quoted, and I believe it was by the, by one of the I'm a, again, I'm, I'm some of my details I can't remember exactly what, but not who. It was said that he who sacrifices freedom for security deserves neither. At the end of the day, if you are willing to sacrifice your freedom as a person for the security of arbitrary details in your life, you eventually deserve neither. Why? Because you are willing. To sacrifice your right to say what you do in your life just to feel comforted, just to feel comfortable, you don't deserve that comfort because you're not willing to have the freedom and fight for the freedom to ensure that you have that comfort entirely of your own independent accord or even upon the accord of you and others who are like minded. You just, you were willing to sacrifice yourself to authority just because, oh, they make everything a little bit better. That's exactly the same old idea with, you know, with, with, with the Trump situation. So many people are willing to jump 
on the Trump bandwagon just because they're uncomfortable by the idea of somebody who says, oh, you don't have the right to do this and the third, and people deserve more right and autonomy to their bodies just because somebody deluded you into believing that your tax money was being spent on something you didn't agree with. First of all, over 60% of the American taxpayers' uh, pay-ins literally goes into our military system. That's exactly where it goes. 60% Sixty percent of that money straight to the military. We have over we have a military budget of over seven hundred billion dollars every year. Seven hundred billion dollars every year goes to our military. Now I understand people in the military need to have you know what I'm saying they need to have a uh, 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 they need to have weapons. Their, 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 yeah, their weapons. You know, saying they have to care. They have to, the military has its responsibilities and duties of which it has outlined that it will give to to those who put themselves in service. You know, but that's where most of that money's going. Planned Parenthood, barely even one percent. Oh, universal basic health care. Hell, if we knocked out, if we knocked out maybe a tenth of the military budget, we'd still be this dominant superpower, and everybody wouldn't have to worry about. You know what I'm saying? Having to have money just to go to the doctor's office because what you thought was a cold turned out to be a serious infection. You know what I'm saying? But no, instead, we're sitting up here with the whole idea that, you know, oh, universal basic health care is bad. I don't want to spend my tax money helping somebody else. But people spend their tax money helping you all the time. I spend tax money that allows you to drive your vehicle down this road to get to work. You know? Hello? Ooh, very good point. This is what we're like, going to do. We're my- going to have to. We're going to have to close it out, man. Uh, I I hate to close out at this moment because, oh, man, it's just good. But I'm going to let you finish that point as far as, you know, you spending your tax money mm-hmm. to help people drive their cars down the road because that's a very good point. I mean, I'm going to put it simply. I pay my taxes. My tax money helps you drive your car down the road, my tax money helps enact the laws that allow us to be safer, even if they include laws I don't lack, like requirements for insurance, just in case you hit me, you know, and I ain't, you're on the wrong, but you ain't got no insurance that I need to be taken care of. See, I had to, I, I decided to follow the rules to have my insurance. I pay tax money so that, you know what I'm saying, even, even if I don't agree with them, so that the police are available to help me in my time of need in the event that someone aggresses me and I might find myself you know, on the wrong side of a situation, need that help. I pay those taxes because we pay those same taxes. So if it's so hard for me to pay those taxes to make sure we both have the, uh, a good road to drive down, what's so hard about both of us paying taxes and being able to go to the doctor when we need to? What's so hard about me paying those taxes to ensure that both of our children get a good education and actually go on to become to better their lives? What's so hard about that? The problem is you create the idea that, oh, I'm helping somebody else in a country where we want to force independence, the idea that we can stand on our own, and that's all you need to, to break down an entire system. And, I mean, they're still sitting up here taking that same tax money we're paying, and they're wasting it anyway on stuff that we didn't even tell them to spend it on. So that's all I'm going to leave that at. Mm. Mm. Man, I, I really I really enjoy hearing, you know, everybody's position. And I'm sure that um, <laughs> that there's, there's some people out here who's been shaking up and who's who's been waking up this with this conversation and I promise you we're going to revisit this because not necessarily Tuesday but we're going to revisit this because it has to be said this discussion has to be had we need to know what's behind all the hate what's behind all the anger and 
at the end of the day, it seems like both the brothers are saying that it's the system. It's not what you've done to me or what have you. It's, it's the propaganda that the system put in place to 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 propagate fear. To you know, I just want to add. Remind. Final thought. Say I go with you. Ignorant. That's what the, that's what that, that's what it relies on. Of course, and ignorance being the lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, I really do appreciate you, and I know that how you feel about uh, religion and spirituality. But um, you being my little cousin, don't hang up because Pastor's about to pray, and we're gonna conclude this call. So, from oh, big cousin to little on. cousin, you stay on the line and listen. Pastor, please do what you do. Lord, we thank you so much for all the information that was released on this line tonight. It is amazing, God, at the intelligence and at the wisdom and knowledge that was uh, given here tonight. Articulate brothers that uh, see this problem for what it really is. And God, I thank you for all of it. I'm in total agreement with Every bit of it. But, God, there's one thing that we cannot get away from, and that's the fact that you are still God. You made the black man. You made the white man. We made all of ourselves ignorant by not following you. And what I'm asking you, God, is um, just to send a solution to help us to turn back to you. I do realize that man has a choice to make, but I do also know that you love everybody. And at the end of the day, God, the one solution, the one only solution is doing things your way. And I know that that sounds, you know, somewhat um, trivial, if you will, but it's just true. So, God, I'm asking you now for the brothers that were on the line, for everybody that was listening, for myself, for Quick, for everybody, God, that we examine ourselves and say, where did I go wrong? Am I part of the problem or part of the solution? Am I angry because the world has gotten this way? Am I fighting back? Am I, you know, falling for the okey-doke and taking the guns and killing my brother? Am I, what am I doing? So help me, God, not to fall for the black agenda, the white agenda, but for God's agenda. I know that there's a solution to all of this because before it's all said and done, God, I know you're going to get glory out of it. Now, God, folk don't like the president. Well, he's earned the hatred that he receives, unfortunately, God, but the truth of the matter is, We still got to pray for the brother. So I pray for him right now that he will see the error of his ways, that he will do what's in the best interest of everybody and not just somebody. Thank you so much, God. Continue to bless this line. Continue to use this line to open up relevant topics, God, that can be discussed and uh, to some degree even resolved. If only one person decides, you know what, I got to do better. I'm angry enough to change. Then great, God. And as much as we're quoting Lincoln and as much as we're quoting, you know, so many other folk, God, my purpose is to quote you. And, Lord, I know that before it's all said and done, you're going to get your glory. So thank you so much. Be with us all. Help us to rest well. Help us to think well. Help us to live better. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 That will conclude tonight's episode. Who's in control of who? I ask that everybody take a step back and realize it for what it is. There's only one race, and that's the human race. 
Don't allow anybody to wear it down. Don't let anybody minimize it. And with love and respect, it all can heal. So with that being said, love one another, take care of everybody, respect each other, and love God. Peace. Peace.